create disorder, throw people into disorder. And then they're facing two things on it. They're facing complexity or they're facing chaos. And we know through the system, if you're in complexity, you're going to have emergent techniques come out. You're going to be testing and learning and you're going to emerge new ways of doing things. You're going to emerge of better ways of doing things. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Hello there, and welcome to this week's show. And I'm back here with my good friend, Mr. Hoffman, but he looks to be in a different location. Bryce, whereabouts are you, sir? I am in Fullendorf, Germany, Marcus. Fullendorf, Germany. Do tell what is over in Fullendorf, Germany. The International Special Training Center of the uh, the Joint uh, U.S. Uh, German uh, Training Center. Uh, here, I've been I've been working with the U.S. Army's Seventh Army Training Command uh, here in Germany, which is responsible for all training for. Uh, U.S. and allied military personnel in Europe and Africa. And we have been talking about the future of leadership in the U.S. military and what's required, what's going to be required of leaders over the next 10 years in this rapidly changing uh, operating environment. And it's been really interesting because it's I've, I've had an opportunity to share a lot of red team thinking with folks and, and to talk about how to prepare as leaders for uncertainty, how to prepare for, how to get comfortable with ambiguity and how to develop the skills you need to be resilient enough to deal with a future that is so uncertain and emergent. And, uh, and we've also been talking a lot about transformational leadership and what that means and what that looks like. So right in our wheelhouse, it's been good stuff. You would you would love it here as a former military I'm, person yourself. I'm, I'm <laughs> jealous of what you're doing. It's so good to hear. And the, the one thing that I've always been impressed with, well, two things with the military, is training and their view on leadership. And yeah. what, is, what is often made me chuckle as I've been outside the military is that the perspective of this perception of the military from the outside world is it's all shouty, shouty, do it all, top-down leadership. Where in the reality, couldn't be further from the truth. We talk about mission command, Alf Gregg's tactic, and that ability to, what we talk about is devolving decision-making, devolving responsibility and control down through the organization to where those frontline operators can make those decisions the quickest. And you can't enable that without the training. If you can't train people to do that and to get comfortable with that, and we talk about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, don't we? It is such yeah. an uncomfortable thing to let go, especially these senior military generals, we know this, to let go of the reins and trust that frontline corporal who is seven or eight layers below you, making those tactical decisions that have strategic impact. If you're not trained to do that at all different levels, then you're going to fail. And I think there's so much that our business clients and leaders in the world today can really take from looking at how the military, both the U.S., 
and our allied forces really focus on training and leadership. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's so important that you, you touched on, Marcus, is that they do focus on training and leadership. And I've had this conversation with several several of the, the, the folks here um, about how much training you get in the U.S. Army in leadership development as a colonel, as a major, as a brigadier general. And you contrast that, as you and I have talked about before, with the civilian world, where, you know, if, if, if you're lucky, you get sent to, you know, an executive MBA program if you're a high potential executive, and you might get a few, a few classes here and there, uh, but really nothing like you get in the military. And, and it, it's, it's unfortunate because I see, I see these folks here struggling with the question of, are we doing enough training? for our leaders and yet they're doing so much more training yeah. than any, than any business I've ever been in. And it's funny because, well, it's not funny. It's actually sad. Just today, uh, one of, one of the, uh, the, the other instructors in this program that I've been working with made the comment that, you know, you can't come, you can't come back in 2035 and, and send a leader to a training course to make up for all the training you didn't give them in leadership between now and 2035. How profound is that, right? How profound that is, is that? brilliant. And that aligns with the sort of comedic discussion we've had before, isn't it? Where in the commercial world, in corporate, you normally get to a certain level. And then that morning out of the conflicts packet arrives the leadership course that you're going to get sent on for either two days, or maybe you might get your annual online program, which is always fun. But as you said, if you're starting to do that as you're mid, late into your career, the ship sailed. To me, leadership isn't a thing or a person. It's a capability that we should really be instilling in everybody from the most junior intern who's just arrived all the way up to the board member who's been there 50 years. And that's what I love about the military. The minute you arrive at boot camp, boom, leadership. It's drilled into you, whether you're a junior, whether you're a senior, whether you're an officer, whether you're non-commissioned, because that that ability to lead at any time, at any point in your career, in your mission, whatever rank you are, is absolutely imperative for the success of that mission and for the safety of your comrades around you. And I think that's so important to understand and something that's, I wouldn't say lacking, it's missing in many organizations across the commercial world. It really is. And, you know, like you say, Marcus, I mean, having a having a library of, you know, 300 self-directed online video courses that no one watches is not is not the same thing as training. It, it, the other thing that, that really struck me today is, you know, the the I, I the the program that I'm here as part of is, as I mentioned, is is rethinking the strategy for training for military folks serving in this part of the world over the next five, 10, 15 years. And uh, it's often, when we start looking at at long-term planning like that, people tend to divorce it from the people involved, right? People tend to look at it as an abstract thing. And this was, there was a really powerful moment today where uh, one of the other instructors Dr. Jim Greer, uh, who who uh, is a is a professor at at, the, at SAMS, the U.S. Army's uh, School for Advanced Military Studies, 
he actually is a he he works with our friend uh, Colonel Kevin Benson there. And uh, we, yeah, we I've heard of Jim. Jim. Yeah, we got to get Jim on the show. Um, and uh, you know, Jim, Jim was was uh, doing part of the program today, and there is a young second lieutenant in the back of the room who who was there because he's the CG's driver. And, but he, this, this, this kid had the, the courage and the confidence when I was leading the program yesterday to speak up and to share some of his thoughts. And I really applauded him for it. And he mentioned when he spoke up yesterday, he said, you know, with all due respect to all, all of you senior officers in the room here, he said, some of, most of you have been in the military longer than I've been born. And that, that, that <laughs> yielded a lot of chuckles, but, but here's the thing that, that, that Jim Greer said today that really I think helped to put this in perspective for, for the senior leaders in the row. It's about 50 to 70 senior leaders in 7th Army Training Command. He said, think about, Max is, is this lieutenant's name, he said, think about what Max said yesterday. He said, you're here trying to plan what the Army is going to look like in 2030, in 2035, in 2040. He said, in 2030, Max is likely going to be a major. He's going to be a field grade officer. And uh, in 2035, Max might be the XO, you know, in a brigade. And in 20, mm-hmm. and in 2040, he might, he might be taking over a brigade. He might be leading a brigade or a combat team. So you look at these things as abstract things. But they're not. What you're talking about here is what is this? What is Max's career path as a leader going to look like? This guy sitting right in the back exactly. room. What is his? What are you? What are you planning for him? And that's and that's when Jim made the comment. The thing that you can't do is come to Max in 2035 and and and, and say, oh, you know, we screwed up. Here's a course to, to teach you how to be the leader you need to be now that you're the XO. You know, uh, to make up for the, the all the courses and training we didn't give you over the last. Uh, you know, 12 years. And I think and that's, that's important. really important. Yeah. Go ahead. 100%. Because the only consistent thing in that roadmap to 2030, 2035, 24 and beyond is max, is the people. Because we don't know what's going to happen. We talk about a VUCA world. We can try and plan and work out what the threats are and what's going on globally, but we just don't know. But we do know if we play our cards right, that Max will be the constant. And this is, I think, the biggest challenge, and certainly in the UK military, is how are we retaining talent? It's that famous word, isn't it? You hear that in business, talent retention. And we have a talent retention program to keep the great people. But how do you do that? How do you keep people, especially in a world where now it's very migrational in the workforce, people want to move around different places. And they do that in the military as well. We move around different roles often. But how do you guarantee that that smart kid sat at the back of the room in three, five years is going to be still engaged, incentivized to stay to become that brigade commander in 20 years and take that knowledge that he's got now and grow it and expand it further, but also then be able to cascade that down? I think that's the biggest challenge that is often overlooked because there's an assumption that that constant will always have a pipeline coming in and feeding it. And that pipeline, I sense it's drying up quite a bit. Right. And this is why, you know, in the civilian world, we, 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 we work hard to try to convince our clients to spread this training that we do lower and lower in the organization. Not, that, not to not do it at the higher levels, because it's obviously 
really valuable to teach senior leaders how to think critically, how to how to teach senior leaders how to listen to diverse perspectives, how to create psychological safety, how to become resilient and develop plans with optionality and all that good stuff. But it's so much more powerful if you give at least a piece of that to folks who are who are high potential executives, mid-level managers, even frontline managers. Because two things happen. One is, as you talked about before, this is how you enable off-tracks tactic. This is how you enable distributed decision-making, how you drive decision-making as close to the, to the mil- in the military parlance to the front line in the business context to the, to the factory floor, the retail store as possible is by giving those low-level leaders the tools they need, the confidence they need, the understanding they need to make good decisions for themselves without having to run everything up the flagpole. But the other thing is, is that as those leaders, first of all, and we've seen this with a lot of the companies we've worked with, is, is when, when you make an investment in, in developing these younger leaders, you make them want to stay at the organization. You know, I, I, I stayed at one newspaper uh, that I worked at that was not a particularly good newspaper, the Oakland Tribune chain uh, in the East Bay of, of, of California back in the, in the 1990s for one reason. It wasn't because they paid more because they actually paid less than everyone else. It was because as part of being a reporter there at, at the level I was at, every year I got to go and take continuing education classes at the uh, School of Journalism at, at UC Berkeley. And that was so valuable to me that this, that this company was willing to invest in my development as a journalist that I turned down a couple of jo- job offers from competing newspapers that would have paid me more money because I knew that they didn't have that option. And so I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that way. I think a lot of folks, if they see that their, that their employer is willing to invest in their professional development, and, and again, not in giving them access to an online library of canned courses, but in actually giving them some really meaningful training. Quality. That's a big incentive to, to, to be engaged as an employee and to stay and be retained as, employ, as an employee. And then there's a third element to this, which is that then if you stay and you're retained and you start learning those skills at a young age and you start applying those skills that you learned consistently and hopefully learning new skills as you advance, by the time you become a senior leader of the organization, you are so much more effective as a leader. You are so much more equipped as a leader and no one has to has to send you to a two-day leadership course to have, figure out how to be a senior leader because you already know how to be a senior leader and not just because it says so on your business card or in your door but because you've earned that yeah if, if we stay with the military analogy here if you think about we put a soldier to the front line what do they go through to get to that point of competence and confidence that they will step out onto the battlefield ready you know we talked about starting a boot camp and you go through all those layers of training Starting with a big picture, understanding battlefield tactics, strategy, operations, etc. We need to incorporate that same mindset into how we train people for leadership capability. And I want to pick up on a few things you said, you know, this development opportunity that I think this is a differentiator now for organizations. People aren't in it for the money anymore. Everybody's in it for the money full stop. But the differentiator for organizations isn't who's going to pay me this or that. I think it's that development opportunity that you get within these organizations, the ability for you to apply what you know and learn and to be seen to be doing that. Everybody gets up in the morning, we talked about this before, to go to work and do good stuff and to get recognized for it and to learn and take what you've learned and evolve that. 
And I think if you've got that opportunity to not only get professional development, but also personal, look at the world we're in today, the mental health issues, the stress levels, the burnout rates, the people who are competent and confident and are training themselves. And we see this in the individuals who don't have the development in the workplace. They're paying for it themselves. Look at all the coaches we've been working with this year. 400 people paying good money to train themselves, taking that personal investment to make sure they are better prepared, they are confident in the workplace, they are capable in that arena. And I think if you have confidence in this day and age, because many of us don't, you know, we talked about that yeah. baseball bat that's waiting for us. Every time we open the door in the morning, what's going to hit us today? We only have to look at the media, what's going on social media feeds. If we've got confidence to step into that, because we've got plans with optionality, because we can make decisions quickly and iteratively, because we've got people on the left and right of us, above and below us, who are all aligned, not groupthink, but aligned in their thinking, and we're going in the right direction. I think that's a real powerhouse for an organization to make itself stand out amongst a saturated market of people looking for quality places to work today. Absolutely. Let's take a break here. When we come back, I would love to talk about something else we've been talking a lot about here uh, at uh, 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 USA slash DEU Fullendorf, which is not surprisingly Ukraine. Hey, folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back. So as I said before the break, uh, I wanted to continue talking, Marcus, about something else that we've been talking a lot about here in Germany, not surprisingly, which is is the war in Ukraine. And specifically, really interesting conversation I had with some officers today about what what we in the U.S. and what I think more broadly leaders everywhere can learn from the Ukrainians. And mm-hmm. uh I was I was talking with one of the officers here and and he made the observation he said the biggest thing that has surprised us and to some into into a real degree he said humbled some of us who can reflect on it is the ability of the Ukrainians to rapidly and with little or no drama while their country is fighting for its very existence take all of these different complex weapon systems that are being donated to Ukraine from different countries around the world that they've never seen before, that they've never used before, and figuring out how to, how to deploy and operationalize these, these systems in a matter of days or weeks. And, and, and I, I, I know you'll appreciate this having served in the RF. His point was, he said, if you, if you try to deploy a new weapon system in the United States Army or Air Force or Navy, it takes years. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. And people get so wrapped around their axle about trying to learn how to do things differently and figuring out how to train their, their teams to, to, to do things differently. And 
you know, one of the things, as you know, that we constantly talk about is lies we tell ourselves. And one of the lies that, that the U.S. military tells itself, we were talking about today, is that that's, that's what happens, you know, when you, when you upgrade equipment, when you deploy new systems. And this, I think, is relevant to business, because think about deploying new business systems or business transformations. The lie we tell ourselves is this is so inherently hard that it's, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't beat ourselves up for the fact that it's taking us two years to get, get our head around this and do it. The reality is, is these things are only hard largely because we make them hard and, and because we have the leisure to make them hard. Ukrainians don't have the leisure to make them hard. So, you know, the British give the Ukrainians a bunch of Challenger tanks. They've never seen a Challenger tank in their life, but they're already, they're already fighting with them right now and, yeah. and, and using them with, with great effect because they just have figured out how to make it work. And this has happened with everything. And, and you know, the, the, the U.S. Army folks that I've been talking about who've been watching the Ukrainians do this are in awe because they say, you know, we, when we switched from Jeeps to Humvees, it was like the world was ending for the U.S. military. No, yeah. And, and, you know, I know the British, when you switch different types of small arms and stuff like this, it's like yeah. world ending. Torture. Absolute torture. And these people are switching the equipment they're using from month to month. You know, and they're not complaining. They're just figuring it out and they're using it. And that just shows what people are capable of if you don't get everything caught up in red tape and rigmarole and bureaucracy and just hand people the tools they need and tell them to figure out how to use them. Tell you the biggest lie the military tells itself with a lovely little catchphrase they like to bounce around. What do we do in the military? We train as we fight. We fight as we train. We don't. They don't. We didn't when I was in. It's a myth. It's one of the biggest myths out there. Because as you said it, there's so much self-imposed red tape, bureaucracy, safety standards that to get these pieces of equipment, this kit rolled out, frontline, we call it IOC, Interim Operational Capability, FOC, Fully Operational Capability. It just takes years sometimes because we're not yeah. training as we fight. If you just drop someone in and go, Right, rounds are coming in in 10 minutes. Get smart on that weapon. People would get smart. People would learn it, use it, abuse it, break it, bend it. And that's what you want. If you talk about you know, a world where we need test and learn, experimentation, safe to fail experiments where just deploy the kit, get it out there. And when you've got that burning platform, when you've got that pressing need to do something which the Ukrainians clearly have, there's no reason why you can't create that every day. And, you know, you see this in military exercise where we do live weapons firing. You know, you apply that mentality because you can. So that's a question from a business perspective. How can you make shit real? How can you make that threat real? And we know in Netflix, they have a chaos monkey. They go down and they pull the server cables out to make sure nobody's way can pay attention. I did that at Linum. I hit the crash buzzer, simulated the crash on the airfield. Nobody knew what was going on. Hey, it's real. Make this thing happen or feel like it's happening because then you're going to get the real learning and the value from trying because i think there's so much fear in you know doing these things wrong litigation problems happening and but we still see it happening when it does so i think there's a real opportunity for people to as you said forget the leisure time let's stop being soft let's let's fight as we fight let's not bring that myth of how this is how we do it because we don't and we all know that when you go to frontline operations 
it's completely different from what you've trained for. So how can we simulate an environment, and we can do this both in the commercial world as well as we do in the military world, that is as real as it gets, and you make people adapt? Or don't even simulate. Just do it. You know, instead of yeah. instead of yeah. spending such so much throat clearing on on business transformation, tell folks, you know what, we're going to roll out this new system. Everyone's going to be using it three months from now. It's going to create problems. We're going to break stuff along the way. It's going to be inconvenient, but we'll figure it out. Do what you need to do to make it work. I guarantee you that the success rate of business transformations would go up significantly. Hundred percent. And and 100%. you know. It, it, it's people are afraid. People are so afraid of failing that they that they set themselves up for failure, and and that's something that you know that's that's amazing. You know, as I was talking with one of the officers today, a specific example back back uh, in in about I think it was summer of last year, twenty twenty two, the French gave the Ukrainians a, a bunch of these uh, Caesar self propelled howitzers, and. He was telling me, and, and they, they, they began using them with real effect because they can, they're, they're fast wheeled rather than track self-propelled howitzers. So they'd fire a shell at the Russians and then they'd hightail it out of the place before they could send counterfire back to, to them. And he was telling me that he was talking with a senior, senior French officer who said, wow, we thought these were, were good in theory, but we didn't realize how good our cannons were until we saw the Ukrainians use them because... Because they're using them so much more had. effectively than, than yeah. we've had. Because they never had to use it in, in, in contact against a peer-to-peer -peer adversary. And so they're like studying. The, he said the French are studying how the Ukrainians are using the French equipment to say, huh, I guess you could do that. You know? <laughs> and, and so I just, you know, this is the thing about, it goes back to what we were talking about before the break. If you give people the skills to lead and you give people the skills to make decisions, you don't have to tell them what to do. You tell, have to just need to tell them what needs to be done and get out of their way and let them do it. And, you know, that's what this is about. Uh, and if we go back to Kinefin and the fantastic Dave Snowden that, who we've had on the show, create disorder. Throw people into disorder. And then they're facing two things on it. They're facing complexity or they're facing chaos. And we know through the system, if you're in complexity, you're going to have emergent techniques come out. You're going to be testing and learning and you're going to emerge new ways of doing things. You're going to emerge of better ways of doing things. So if you've got a new piece of equipment or something you want to test and learn from, that's the best place. If you're in chaos, even better, you're going to have novel things. You're going to have ways of using these equipment that you've never even thought of before. And that's what I love about seeing how the Ukrainians operate. They, they'll use these weapon systems as they were never designed for sometimes. They'll right. use them in terrain that they could never be developed for, but they are because that's what happens in chaos. You have to come up with novel ideas and making things work. So if you apply that same concept, create a bit of discomfort, create some disorder, make people feel uncomfortable, and then challenge them. As you said, challenge people, then get out of the way and let them figure out how they're going to make shit work because they'll do it. They will impress you with their innovation, their intuition, and their grit to make it happen. They really will. If you let them. If you let them, though, if you the, let them, there's there's two sides to this. One is 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 the, the 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 magic that happens when you create chaos, like you said. But that magic can only happen if you enable and empower people to do that. Because look, the Russians 
are dealing with just as much chaos as the Ukrainians are, as we've seen. And they're not doing this. They're not adapting and overcoming. Why? Because they're not allowed to. Because because the, there there's there's no there's no incentive and there's a lot of disincentive in the Russian military to think for yourself and to and to try to do things differently. So you, yeah. you, there's all sorts of stories about people literally engaging in suicidal behavior because that's what they've been told to do, even though it's obvious that it's not working and that they shouldn't <laughs> they they shouldn't do it because because that's the, that's the situation they have. So you have to. It's not just. I don't want to encourage leaders just to say, you know, go go and pull the plugs on, on on the on the server rack without also encouraging them to give your people permission to figure out what to do next on them on their own rather than going and grabbing the black binder on the shelf and blowing the dust off it and opening up exactly. and say, all right, what what is it saying here? We're supposed to do when the server wires you know get pulled. You have to give people the ability to to think and to and and think for themselves. I'm going to bring this back full circle to wrap this up. This goes back to confidence and competence. If you as a leader have the confidence in yourself and your people, and you've all got the competence to do what's required at those levels and hand off those reins where you need to do, then you're going to have that effective outcome that you're looking for, whether it's business or on the battlefield, irrelevant. And that's only going to come from, what do we talk about at the beginning? Training. Focusing on your people training, working together. And if you do that as a collective group and focus on what you need to achieve and how you need to achieve that as a group and let it happen, as you said, get out of the way, let it happen. Those people who you're going to instill that ability into are going to step forward with the confidence and the competence to deliver what you need. And you're going to be able to observe and manage strategically and lead from that position rather than, as we say in the military, the long screwdriver, that general sticking his paws in all the way to the front line because they can't let go. And that's so demoralizing. So train your people, focus on confidence and capability, and you can't go far. Brilliant. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.